I got green light. That sounds good. There we go. Well, good morning, church. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and I'm so excited. It's not often I get to uh, talk to you guys from the pulpit, um, and I'm really, really excited, genuinely excited for the opportunity to show you guys what God's been showing me in his word. Um, I'm just really excited. I'm really excited. Thank you to Andreas and uh, Marcus and the team. Uh, worship is just beautiful. We are blessed with such an awesome worship ministry um, here. Yeah, give them a hand. And I could not have picked a better song to lead in to uh, what I'm talking about today. So that's awesome. I love when God seems to work without us knowing, um, you know, together, being in on it. God's, God's always working. Um, and that's, that's awesome. Uh, so I have a question for you. Is God good? That was kind of the response, right? I kind of didn't set it up the right way, right? It's supposed to say, me, me say, God is good all the time. God is good. How do you know? How do you know, right? And that's probably, that's not part of it. <laughs> that's not part of that call and response, right? Um, I don't think, uh, probably many of you were anticipating that response. I think a lot of times that's kind of an attention grabber for, for student ministry. Sometimes, you know, well, I, I'll just say I bought a megaphone this last week to get their attention. I got a siren on there, and that's how I get their attention. Sometimes I think pastors use that, that call and response as a, all right, everybody, it's time to, to listen. Um, and it's kind of uh, a tool, um, which is, which is kind of funny. I think <coughs> I'd, be, I'd be interesting to try to apply that in other uh, areas of life, you know, like son coming to his dad and being like, dad, uh, can I get a Corvette for my first car, dad? Yeah, can I get a yes? Can I, can I get a yes? Can I get an amen? Um, anyways, uh, back to my original question. How do we know that God is good? How can we be sure? Have you ever been asked this question? If God is good, why does he let bad things happen to good people? That's a tough question. That is something worth chewing on. That's something we talked about upstairs, and, and, and we've just scratched the surface of how to respond to that question. Because let's be honest, this life is a hard life, right? This place that we live is, is, is full of sin, and as a result, there is evil in the world, and that evil affects us. Even the, the, the children of God that, that we are, it touches our lives, Often, we're satisfied with just a response of saying, he has good plans, or his ways are higher than our ways, right? Which are completely true, right? But when the rubber meets the road, and when you and I are faced with evil in our lives, when you and I are put to the test, then we truly begin to question just what good plans he might have. Sometimes it's confusing, right? It doesn't make sense to us. Sometimes it just feels evil. It feels wrong, and we're thinking, God, what could you possibly be teaching me in this moment? I love you. Why have you taken this from me? I love you. Why won't you give me this good thing that I desire? Don't you know that I'm going to glorify you with it? And we come to these moments where we begin to doubt even the love that God might have for us. We begin to doubt the plans that God has in our lives. This morning... I want to take a look through scripture 
and build a foundation that we can stand firm upon. I think all of us are familiar with these passages, but I just, once again, like I said, God has been teaching me through this passage, and, and I'm just going to share it with you. He's helped me found, uh, build a, a kind of firm faith foundation on these passages, and that's what I want for us this morning, is to establish trust in the Lord through what he has promised us through his word. I'd like to base our study today largely on the text of Romans 8, 28 through 30. This is a familiar passage to most of us. It's, it's quoted often. Um, rarely, I believe, is it quoted in completion. Um, we like to, to, uh, to, to read that first half without um, reading the, uh, the, the quali- qualifying statements afterward. Um, but we're going to get into that, okay? I want to start by just reading it here together. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And we're just going to pause right there, <clears throat> excuse me, on that first uh, verse there in verse 28. Um, and we're going we're gonna to break it down, okay? We're just going to take some time and, and look through it together. I think this verse, this passage here, contains everything that we need to understand why we can trust God. First, let's start with the promise that he gives here, because that's exactly what this is. You realize when, when God makes these statements in Scripture saying, we can know this, it's a promise. And that promise extends to you, and it extends to me. And what is that promise that he gives to us? We know that for those who love God, all things work together, or all things work together. <laughs> all things work together for what? For good. All things work together for good. All things work together. That is a promise that God gives here. And God doesn't give promises that have no base, right? God doesn't offer promises to you and to me that aren't going to come true. God is perfect, and what he promises is perfect. And so when he promises good for us, he means it. He promises good. All things work together for good. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't say except for the really bad things, except for the things that are really, really out of God's control. That's, that's, that's you know, there's no fine print here, okay? There's no fine print in the Bible, unless you have the study Bible with the notes under there, but there's no fine print to the promises of God. It means exactly what it says, and that says good is promised to you. There's no exclusion in this promise, there's nothing outside of God's control. <clears throat> this tells me uh, a couple things about the character of God, okay? There's a few things I learned. Uh, there's probably a million things we can learn about the character of God from this scripture. But there's two main things that I learned about the character of God here in this verse. And that first is that he knows all things. Stands to reason if he's working through all things to bring good, then he knows about them, right? He knows all things. And this should be a huge comfort to to us this morning. He knows all things. Have you ever been sharing with someone about something uh, and they try to relate to you, but it's just not, it's not relating, you know? They're like, oh, I understand. And and it's just not the same caliber of, of 
of issue. I remember <clears throat> when, I was, when I was young, I was about maybe five or six years old, I had a horrible, horrible bike accident. Um, and, and it was crazy. My friend and I were racing in the side yard, and, and I was just, I was focused on being ahead of him, and I wasn't paying attention where I was going, and I drifted. I drifted into a brick chimney, and I slammed on my brakes, and I flew over the handlebars, and I hit that corner straight smack dab in the middle of my face, and that brick shoved my front tooth through my gums, into my nose, and my tooth broke my nose. It, it takes talent to do that. I don't know if you know. <laughs> And uh, I had to get this facial reconstruction. Obviously, they botched it. Um, I used to look like Matt Damon. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, this crazy accident, okay? And I, and I would go tell people, and, and from time to time, I'll tell this story to people just to gross them out. And, uh, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, this one time I got my wisdom teeth pulled, you know? And I'm like, not really the same. You know, like, I mean... <laughs> Are bricks in my story, uh, my nose. Anyway, um, I guess I'm just an elitist when it comes to broken tooth stories. But anyway, um, you know, there are people that just we can't relate with on some things, right? And I don't know what your story is, or maybe maybe there's some other more serious things that maybe you have trouble relating with someone. This is not the case with God. God relates to you perfectly because he knows everything you've been through, everything you're going to be going through. We can take comfort in that because God knows all things. Quickly, I'm going to read to you a passage from the book of Hebrews. We did a Hebrews uh, study last year with our high school group. Let me t- tell you, that book is hard to preach. It is hard. There are a lot, there was a lot of weeks where we, we got through two verses and we were like, all right, this is some theologically um, deep things here. Um, but it's so good. I love the book of Hebrews. It's worth studying. Um, but today I want to read to you a passage from Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. This is awesome. This is, this is going to bring hope this morning. I pray this brings you hope. It brought me hope reading it. So uh, it start, says, starting in verse 14, the chapter 4, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, God knows. Jesus can sympathize with us because he is our high priest who gets it. Okay, he gets it. He understands where you and I are and when you, where you, you and I are going because he has been tempted. He's experienced the trials that this life provides us. And we can take hope and we can take comfort, find comfort in the fact that God can sympathize with us. That Jesus can sympathize with us because he knows everything we're going through. There's nothing that you can bring to the Lord that will surprise him. He knows. He knows. So first, we see he knows all things. Second, what I see in this passage here in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, is that he is in control. Right? He knows all things because he's working through all things. And he's in control of all things because he's working through all things. Right? He is in control 
of everything. Not only is he aware of our circumstances, but we see in Romans 8, 28 that he takes action. We don't serve a passive God. We don't serve a God who set things in motion and abandoned us to figure it out. Our God is an active God. He loves you and he's so involved in your life that he says he is working together through all circumstances for good. That's the God you serve. We can take comfort in that fact. He is actively working in your defense. Listen to what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. And this is another familiar verse here. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to not harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. This is the God that we serve. He's working in our favor. I'm reminded of the disciples' response to Jesus calming the storm. They said, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? You see, God has got it all under control. Nothing surprises him. Nothing takes him off guard. And nothing exists outside his control. Back in our, in our main passage here in, in, in Romans, I want to continue in verse 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew and also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What does this tell us about our relationship to God? To me, once again, it shows us two major truths. <clears throat> and I'm sure a scholar could derive hundreds, but the two main ones I see here is that one, you and I are not an afterthought or an accident. We're not just something God was like, you know, this world's pretty cool, but let's throw some featherless bipeds on there and they can walk around and, and do stuff, right? God predestined us. He had a plan for us. When you combine that with the truth that, the, um, the, the truth that God knows all things, it shows us that despite God knowing the worst characteristics about us, the worst things about us, he still chose to make us. He still chose to breathe life into us, to show us grace and mercy even before we were created. That's amazing. That's incredible. That is a loving God on display. He knows the worst things about us and still he loves us. He loved us with a plan to redeem us. Our relationship to God reminds me of kind of like a, a shelter <clears throat> rescue dog um, in a way um, that we're, we're kind of there and we're just waiting, waiting, hoping someone adopts us, but bound to be put down, right? And God swoops in and he saves us, right? He saves us. He gives us a good home. He feeds us. He gives us shelter. And yet we still bite him. He loves us, and he does not forsake us. He looks on us with love and says, that's mine. I love them. The second thing this verse tells me is that we are fully adopted as children of God. Listen to that wording again. Christ being the firstborn, you and I are brothers and sisters to follow. The book of Hebrews, just to kind of turn there, we don't have to flip there, but the book of Hebrews names us as co-heirs with Christ. Co 
heirs. And I don't know if you know much about Jesus' inheritance, but he's got everything. Jesus is inheriting all creation, and you and I share in that inheritance because of the sacrifice he made for you and I on the cross. Not getting ahead of myself here, because that plays a major part later on. But you see, God has chosen us, and he loves us as his children. You can trust him because he loves you as his own child. Listen to what Romans chapter 8 says just a few verses earlier in verse 14. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. This tells me a couple of things about our experiences here. First, God desires an intimate relationship with you and with me. The term Abba here, and and it's kind of understood here now um, pretty plainly, but the term Abba in its original language is basically translated to dad. It's an informal address to a paternal relationship. It's dad. Uh, Shiloh still hasn't officially said his first word yet. Um, We're trying. Uh, The other day I got Madison pretty good because he was just mouthing words, and I kept putting my mouth over it. It sounded like he was saying, and she was like, do you hear that? And I was like, I don't know. Anyway, uh, he still hasn't officially said his first word yet, but we're trying. I mean, we're there, and we're just... We look like fools everywhere we go. We're just like, mom, 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 dad, dad, dad. And they're like, are they okay? Um, we're so excited to hear him say, uh, to, to hear him address us, right? We're so excited for that moment. It's almost all we think about sometimes, you know? Um, and, and, and it's funny. We'll come try to convince each other. We'll be like, uh, he said it earlier. You just weren't here. And um, <laughs> we talk about it all the time. You see, I believe this is exactly how God waits on you and me to come to him, to address him as our father. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? And I'll tell you, I mean, I've read this a million times, and it really didn't become this mind-blowing until I have my own son, and I'm just like sitting there, and I'm like, come on, say it. Say my name. I love you so much. I want, I want you to know me. I want you to call out my name. When you need something, I want you to call out my name, and I'll, I'll be there for you. I will, I will be there to bring, through, bring you through whatever you need. I'm going to take care of you. And that's exactly the relationship we see here portrayed in this passage. That's how God waits on you. That's how God covets your prayers. He wants you to call him your dad, your father. He loves you so intimately as a child he loves you so 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 much and he wouldn't withhold anything good truly good from you you can trust God because he loves you as his child he's going to bring you the very best it's funny just as another I think all my sermon illustrations are slowly becoming about Shiloh but I put up a swing uh, in our tree line uh, a couple weeks ago and it was pretty funny. I was at the store, and I was, I was looking for rope and, and some hooks and, and stuff. And I, I'm looking. I'm like, all right, well, you know, how many, 
what test do I need for this? You know, he's not that heavy, so I probably do 25-pound test rope and, and stuff. And I was like, well, he's going to grow, and maybe 50. And I was like, well, that's going to be a while, you know. I might as well go 100. I got 500-pound test, okay, is what I ended up buying. This rope is, is huge. I mean, it looks, it, he's not going anywhere, okay. Um, if, if that rope breaks, there's some serious problems going around uh, in the weather. Um, 500 pound test, and I got these huge boat hooks, um, and and so he's got the sturdiest swing this side of the Mississippi. It's it's great, but you see, in my mind, I'm like, I want him to have the best. I want him to have the safest. I want him to have the absolute, without a doubt, best that I can give him. And once again, I believe this is what God looks at you and me as, right? I want them to have the very best life, the very best experience the very best relationship with me that they can have. You see, God's not going to withhold goodness from you because he gave everything for you, right? Which is another point that I'm going to make later. But, uh, and I'm out, out of my notes now. I'm just excited. Uh, but that's the deal. God loves you so much. He's not going to withhold any goodness from you. You can trust him because he has the same mentality as that I do for Shiloh and him more perfectly so, right? Because I'm just human and I'm a sinner. And sometimes when he wakes up in the middle of the night, I don't want to give him a bottle, right? God never tires of hearing from you. God never tires of giving you the absolute best in your life for the goodness that he has called you to do. You can trust him because he sees you as his child. He's adopted you as his child. He's chosen you. Next, we can trust him because he has given us purpose. <clears throat> the next part of Romans 8:28 kind of moving back just half a verse says all things work together for the good of those who what? Who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So what does that mean? It's simple enough to establish what it means to love God. I believe this means you have experienced uh, a life change, life-changing moment with with, with Jesus, right? That you love him, that you've given your heart to him, that he lives within you, that the Holy Spirit is in your life, that you love him. The first qualif qualifying statement here is that you love God. You want to experience goodness of God in your life? Love him, right? And here's the deal. Jesus made it real plain. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's good. Some Bible trivia right there. Uh, that is just it. If we love him, we will keep his commandments, right? We will walk in righteousness, right? Not that we can reach perfection, but we press on towards it, right? We are making conscious effort not, <coughs> excuse me, uh, not to earn something, but out of the very love that we feel for our father. If we love him, we will obey his commandments. It's natural. That second that second uh, qualifying statement is that we, <clears throat> it goes on to say that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So then what is the purpose of God? What is his purpose for us? We've been studying through uh, a chronological study of the Bible uh, really since right after I got here. And it's pretty crazy. It feels like it's flown by. We're already in the book of Zephaniah, um, and 
and we're just flying through. It's awesome. Uh, I've learned so much. I hope the kids have learned something. Um, uh, but we've been just loving it. It's been awesome. Uh, and something that really stuck out to me, something that I really learned this time through, you know, you can read the same passage a million times and, and still see new applications, and God just brings that to life. And you're like, how did I miss this, you know? Um, when we were reading through uh, the life of Elisha, God really just highlighted some stuff to me that I had really never noticed before, and I think it ties in directly with what we're talking about um, here uh, today. So uh, if you want to uh, flip back to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, Um, and as you're kind of turning there, I wanted to share with you uh, just kind of a cool story. Um, I I like to share with you, whenever I get the chance uh, to talk about our students, I I love to because I love them. I love what I do, and and they're amazing. Um, So we've been breaking into small group discussion groups after our lesson um, and I just want to show you this interaction that, that Solomon and I had uh, with our middle school guys. We lead the middle school guys discussion group. Um, what I initially asked is, is God good, and how do you know? How can you trust him? Essentially what I asked you guys in the very beginning. And I was blown away by Ethan. He's one of our sixth grade boys from Arlington, his response. He said, well, God made us, and he wouldn't have made us for no reason. And I was like, that is, that is profound, <laughs> you know? It's, it's kind of one of those moments where you step back and you're like, that's simple but so profound. God made us, and he wouldn't made us for, for no reason. He's got a reason. He's got a purpose for you and me in our life. He's got a purpose for us to accomplish. So what is that purpose? Jumping into 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 8. I want to read to you a passage, the miracle of Elisha, starting in verse 8. It says, on one day, Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat. And she said to her husband, behold, now, I know this is a holy man of God who continually passes our way. Let us make a small room in the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came in there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. When he called her, she stood before him, and he said to her, say now to her, her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood at the doorway. He said, at this season, about a year from now, you shall embrace a son. She said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son around the same time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Just pause there for a second. <clears throat> this is an incredible miracle, right? This is awesome. And, and I think it bears significance <clears throat> that... Um, uh, and one of our students actually caught this. I didn't even, I wasn't even want to catch this. Once again, we're seeing a promised son, right? And this is kind of a pattern throughout scripture, kind of a prophetic look at Jesus. And I think this actually uh, really uh, resembles um, Jesus later on in scripture, but we'll, we'll get there. <clears throat> Continuing in verse 18, uh, well, before we continue, uh, just want to bring um, your attention to the fact that God has 
promised this son, right? God has miraculously granted, given this son to this woman, okay? Um, just bear that in mind. Continuing in verse 18, it said, When the child had grown up, he went out one day to the father, his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to the servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. She called to her husband and said, Send me out one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I might quickly go to the man of God and come back again. So she goes and she journeys to find Elisha. And Elisha comes. And through this, this, this amazing miracle, Elisha brings this boy back to life. But my question for my students was, why why take him away in the first place? If God, gave, if God gave this gift of a child to this woman, why would he take him away? What is God doing there? And we got some answers, you know, maybe he's testing her faith. I think that definitely could be part of that personal relationship she had with the Lord. I think that's definitely part of it, right? God, um, God does uh, grow us through tribulations. We do grow um, I just think of that uh, verse in James chapter 1, right? Consider it joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And I'm going to screw up the rest of it, so that's where I'm going to leave it. But that's exactly what we're talking about here, right? Uh, he, he does grow us through circumstances. But I believe it's so much more than that. I believe God's got a bigger plan. I believe it's evident here in Scripture. And we see the direct uh, kind of cause and effect relationship. That God's doing here. God miraculously heals <clears throat> this boy and he's brought back to life. Turning over to the next chapter, I want to look at another, another passage that I've never connected the two on. But I believe God directly was working in one situation to affect Another situation. Chapter 5 of 2 Kings in verse 1 it says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his, ma with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, <clears throat> on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were within the, with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. We're just going to pause right there for a second. <clears throat> I want to establish the characters and look at what is going on here. Okay, First, we have Naaman, right? It's pretty uh, laid out what he is, who he is. He's a mighty man of war um, for the land of Syria. Right, um, a pagan man, uh, uh, an idol worshiper, um, and, and a pagan man not of Israel. And beyond that, he's raided Israel and, and stolen a, a, a child, taken her into his own captivity for his own purposes as a slave, right? Uh, not, not a good guy. Um, and then you have this little girl, this little, this little slave girl. And not much is said about her other than the fact she came from the land of Israel and she was in the care of his wife. And I love her role in all this, right? I love it. Because despite her circumstance, what is she doing? 
He's saying, look, the power of God can heal you. The power of God can make you right. So we look at his response. He goes to the land <coughs> and, and, uh, and, and speaks to uh, Elisha's servant. And basically what happens here, I'm going to summarize just so we can get through this. Um, basically what happens here is, is he goes and tells him to bathe, dip seven times in the, the Jordan River. And he says, well, I could do that at home. I could go wash in the river at home. Our, my, I mean, our rivers are cleaner than this one, right? What? This is, this is dumb. And he almost misses out on what God has for him because of his ignorance and his stubbornness. And I'm like, wow, that looks like me. You know, sometimes we resist the Lord's plans for such stupid reasons because it just doesn't make sense, right? But God is working through all circumstances for the good. Anyway, continuing, <clears throat> continuing on, we see him healed. And I want to pick up, just kind of skipping down. Um, it says in verse 15, it says, Then he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept a present now from your servant. And it goes on, uh, and he wants to bring gifts to Elisha. And he's like, no. But the main point here is this man is saved. This man sees the power of God, and he acknowledges who God is, right? Bear in mind, who is this man? A mighty man from a pagan culture who has been openly in warfare against the Israelites. And what is he saying? What confession has he arrived at? There is no other God than the God of Israel. This is huge. This is important. This is major because you see if God hadn't established his reputation in his own people with the miracle of, of raising that boy from the dead, I don't know that Naaman would have ever been healed. I don't know that Naaman as a pagan man would have ever taken that, that belief in the one true God to the nation of Syria. You see, for God to work sometimes things get tough for us. But you can see the result here is salvation. I believe oftentimes you and I face circumstances that are tough, that are hard, that push us to the limit. But every time I believe for God to be working good and his goodness and his purpose in our life is evangelism. I believe at the very heart of the purpose of God is reaching out to those who don't know him. And so yes, this woman experienced pain and required healing. But because of what God did in her life and her son's life and through Elisha, God's reputation was made known throughout the land. And through that reputation, a man was saved. I believe this is the point. I believe, I believe these two events are connected. I believe that. I, I, I do because I see that today in our culture today. I see that in my own sister's life. And I've shared it before, but I'm going to share it again because it's one of the, the best pictures I have just personally that I've witnessed of God working through things that seem evil for the good, right? My sister has been, uh, uh, um, she has a very uh, serious and rare condition. Um, and I won't get into details about it, but she's had... I mean, over 20 surgeries since the time she was like nine. Um, just crazy. She's, she's on a, a feeding tube that aligned directly to her heart. Um, I mean, talking, going through this at nine, it was touch and go for years. There was times where they'd say, you need to get to the hospital. You need to spend as much time as you can this week, and we're not sure what's going to happen. You, you need to get down here. It doesn't look good. 
Um, for years that happened. And you know what? For years we prayed for her healing. We're still praying for her healing. God has not chosen to heal her yet. And at first that was really, really, really difficult for me to get over. I said, God, she loves you. She's a child. She, she deserves better than this. She, all she does is, is talk about you, is, is sing about you. Why would you do this? I'll tell you, she's had more gospel conversations than anyone I know in a hospital. <laughs> she's gone to specialists throughout the nation. I'm talking top doctors. I'm talking she's being medevaced out to other hospitals because they're the top of the line surgeons, you know. And, and I don't know how often they get exposed to the gospel, but every time my sister's there, they are. Who's going to argue with a, a kid that's about to go into the knife, right? You listen, and they do. And she shares the gospel. God is working through circumstances that appear evil for his good. It's not the good that we understand. It's not the good that we always are going to feel in agreement with. It's confusing sometimes. And we think to ourselves, why? What are you doing? By the characteristics I've, I've, I've learned through this study, I know that God knows all things. He's in control of all things, and he has a plan for all things. So I can know I can trust him because he has a purpose for us. That purpose is to reach the world for him, for his glory. <coughs> Listen to what 1 Timothy chapter 1 says. It says, first of all, then, I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and for who are all in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, <clears throat> godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of our uh, God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, the purpose that we are called to is a purpose of evangelism, a purpose of bearing a holy testimony to the lost. God is going to accomplish this by whatever means necessary. I mean, look what he went through to redeem you and me. The point here is that God has a purpose for our life, and we can trust that if we are in line with what that purpose is, that he will bring only good out of the circumstances we face. The good news is that if we are aligned with this purpose, we will find peace and joy amidst our trouble. Getting into my final point here just quickly. <clears throat> I'd like to turn once more to our main passage in, in Romans chapter 8. You see, we already can take comfort in knowing that we can trust God because of his great love for us as, as our father. And because that he has a purpose for our lives. But I believe there's yet another thing, perhaps the most powerful thing that we can draw hope from. Let's pick up back in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. It says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he, gave, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So let's just work through some of these terms together so that we can understand exactly what the Lord's telling us this morning. First of all, we see the, the term predestined. I believe this means deliberately chosen. And I understand that to reflect upon all mankind. When I read that verse in 1 Timothy, 
I believe it's God's heart desire that all men be saved, not meaning that they will, because God's given us free will to choose, I, I believe. Now, there's a lot of smart people that disagree with me, and that's for you to, to kind of arrive at your own <coughs> conclusion. I'll be honest with you, I think we're going to get to heaven one day, and we're going to all sit back and laugh and be like, wow, that wasn't such a big deal, <laughs> you know? Uh, I can't believe we spent hours arguing about this when we could have been sharing the gospel. That's, that's something. Um, but that's what it means. It means that we are chosen. The act of justification is that of making something right. In our case, this is the payment of our sins. Remember, the central characteristic of God is his holiness. The central characteristic of man is what? His sin, his sinful nature. According to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Furthermore, the penalty of this is recorded in Romans chapter 6, 23, it's death. The wages of sin is death. So simply put, the dividing point between us and God is this penalty of death. But who, who can pay that and live to redeem the benefit? It is utterly and completely hopeless except there was one that was without sin. Except there was one who had power over death. Except there was one who bore a love so strong for you that it sent him to the earth to live as a man. Except there was one who was so perfectly aligned with the will of the Father that despite the blood that spilled from his brow as he prepared to go to the cross, he still went and made the sacrifice for you and me. His name is Jesus Christ. And he has given everything to set you and I free. And if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what will. The Son of God in his holiness has come to earth to live among us. And in doing so lived a perfect life that we could not live. And he paid the penalty of death that we could not pay. And through these things, you and I can be justified before the Father so that we may be glorified with him in heaven forever. And that is goodness. That is the goodness of God. You want to find a reason to trust God? It's because he has already won your eternity. That goodness has already been given. It's already been given. You see, we can trust in the goodness of God because he has given up everything to be with you. Nothing held him back. And nothing holds him back now. Why would God, who gave his only son to come die, withhold anything good from you? He's already given the most precious thing he could give. So why would he withhold goodness from you? The answer is he's not. He's not. God wants you to experience goodness and the perfection of his plan. But to do so, we have to love him, right? This promise that we see in Romans chapter 8, 28 is for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, who are aligned with his will. You see, when we fall under the authority of the will of God, we will have peace going through all circumstances. This doesn't mean that we will struggle, that we will never experience Worry, but we have a place to go to when we experience it. We bring it to the Lord and he exchanges it for peace, for strength, for perseverance. 
He's our Father. He wants to hear from us. My prayer is that we would give our cares, our worries, our troubles, our addictions to him because he's ready and able to take them. Why would he give you his very life only to deny you the comfort you need to face your circumstances? He's ready, willing, and able to take your burden from you. And here's the deal. It might not be a physical removal. You may never experience what you think is goodness in your life by your definition. Like I said, we've been praying for years for my sister to be healed. Do I believe today that he could heal her right now? Absolutely. Do I believe he could heal her in two years, five years, ten years, whatever his plan is? Absolutely. Do I believe he can, he can not heal her physically of this and use her to have a wonderful, purposeful, fulfilling life to teach others his gospel? Yes, I do. And I trust his definition of goodness over mine. I pray that you come to that point. I pray that it is a release from a physical burden. Whatever you're facing, it's sickness, if it's loss, if it's worry, if it's addiction, whatever you're facing, I do pray that he takes that, just rips it away from you miraculously. But here's the deal. Even if he doesn't come as you expect it, he is there ready to stand with you through it all. You can trust him. He is good in all things. He is good. Now, I don't know where you are with your relationship with God. I don't know. You know, for some of you, this is probably the, the eighth millionth time you've heard this verse preached. And some of you probably could preach it about ten times better than I can. Maybe some of you, this is all new, and you're working through these, you know, Christianing words like justification, glorification, all this, and still trying to chew on that. I don't know where you are. The only people who know that are you and God. My prayer this morning that wherever you are is that you would, you would humble yourself to surrender. To say, God, I've been searching for goodness in my life on my own and I can't find it. And that's true because you won't. The only thing good in this universe is God. And he will reveal to you what goodness is as you come to him. So my prayer this morning that wherever you are, that you would get right with the Lord, that you would love him, and that you would align himself or align yourself with his purpose so that you can reap the benefit and the promise of Romans 8.28, that he is working together for the good in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness to us, that you love us so perfectly, that you sent even your son to come die in our place. Not that any part of our existence deserved it or earned it, but you saw fit to redeem us because you love us and you want communion with us. God, we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve a relationship with you. But yet you've made it possible for us to experience goodness with you in our lives. God, I just ask that you'd work during this time as we prepare to sing, that you'd move in our hearts, that your spirit would be in this place convicting us to let go of those things that maybe we were holding on to. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's an addiction. Whatever is pulling us away from experience, your goodness in our lives, God, I ask that you'd take it from us, that we'd come before you with hands outstretched, ready to surrender. 
so we can experience goodness as your children, as you always intended us to, to know. That we trust you in all circumstances, that your glory would be shown throughout the world because of our trust in you, our faith in you. God, I just ask that you'd work in this place. God, as we begin to sing, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we, as we sing?